0: Good to be with you this morning. My name is Garrison. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas Dayton. We're very glad to be together this morning. If you are uh, a guest with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. If you're on the live stream with us uh, and and a guest with us, we we are so glad that you tuned in. Um, Let's uh, uh, take a moment. I I, want to ask you to fill out the Connect card. We actually, I think we have uh, copies of Connect cards out on the table out here. Uh, but then also we have a uh, digital connect card at veritasdightonorg slash connect that you can go to and uh, fill out that uh, digital connect card there. And that's a good way for us to uh, get you connected with what God is doing here in our church family. And there's also a space for prayer requests in there. We'd love to be able to pray for you this week. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67, Psalm 67, uh, and we are looking at particularly verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 67 this morning. Uh, Before we uh, get started, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we we give you thanks for your your grace and kindness to us in Christ. We give you thanks uh, that the the requests in this text for blessing and grace and your face to shine upon us are a reality in Christ Jesus. We thank you for giving him to us so that we might be in him and be given unto you. And we pray that that would so ignite a glad-hearted zeal for your glory in the earth that we want to make you known in the earth. We pray that that will be accomplished this morning as we explore the first two verses and in this series as we explore the entirety of Psalm 67. Work that in us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I am sure that uh, you've had your eyes fixed on the United States this last week, and really along with the eyes of the majority of the world. You know, we've been watching an interesting event, really maybe a historic event, unfold before our very eyes, and it's, it's been riveting, hasn't it? As we move toward the psalm, I'd like to lift our eyes a little bit higher. Of course, we, we care about what's happened this last week. We care about what happens in our nation. We care about who our elected officials are and, and all of those things. And that's appropriate as long as there's not an exaggerated interest in it. But, but I want to lift our eyes this morning and over the next few Sundays beyond that of our nation and our own national concerns, as important as those might be, I'd like us to have our eyes lifted beyond that of our nation so that we might consider the entirety of the globe. John Stott uh, once rightly said that we must be global Christians because ours is a global God. And he's right. So we want to be concerned not just with our own nation, we want to consider not just our own nation, but really all the nations of the earth. But then even really beyond that, even beyond the globe and the nations thereon, even more important, I'd like us to lift our eyes to heaven. I'd like for us to set our eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one and only true sovereign of the universe, and the glory that he demands as such. And that's what our plan is in this sermon series. We're going to be looking at Psalm 67. Psalm 67. That's what we might call a, a missionary psalm. It's a prayer found in God's word. So it's it's God's words that he puts in our mouths to speak back to him in prayer. And it's it's a prayer which asks for God's blessing upon the church. But then it, it directs the eyes of God's people, even off themselves as the church and onto the nations as the reason. God's blessing in the first place. And it paints a compelling picture, a very compelling picture of a a people from every nation of the earth coming to know the way and the saving power of the one true God. And they subsequently begin to engage in glad-hearted worship of the one true God as the supreme Lord of all. This psalm makes the claim that that is the end for which God's people are blessed, and that is the end for which the universe was created. That is the most certain outcome of the created order, guaranteed by the providence of the Almighty God. That's what the psalm tells us about. And so we're going to spend the next three Sundays uncovering Psalm 67. The first two verses this morning, we'll see the the motivation of missions, which is God's blessing upon His people. And then next week, we'll, we'll look at verses 3 to 5 as we see the goal of missions, which is God's glory, all nations worshiping God with glad hearts. And then lastly, in verses 6 to 7, we see the certainty of missions, which is that God will indeed bless His people, and they will reap a great harvest, and all the nations of the earth will bow down to the Lord in fear of Him. And during this three-week series, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Each Sunday, I'm going to kind of narrow in on a particular missionary from Christian history and use their lives and their writings as a sort of reservoir to draw illustrations from and quotes from and the like. We're going to look at several missionaries. And now the, the goal and aim of this series is that we would grow, as we're mobilized by God's Word and empowered by God's Spirit, we would grow as a going and ascending church we want to send members of this church to the nations and I'm praying that in the wake of this sermon series whether it be this week at the end of the sermons three weeks from now or several years from now that in the wake of this sermon series whether it it be any of those times that three to five individuals in households would begin to sense a call to go to the nations themselves to go for the sake of missions and I'm praying that our church would grow in prayerful and financial and spiritual support of missions. And I'm praying that our church would grow as a going and ascending church. And my prayer is that God would bless us during this time to that end. So we're going to dig in to Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. If you'd like to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence and joy to the word of our God. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, Lottie Moon was born December 12, 1840 in Albemarle County, Virginia. She was reborn December 1858 at the age of 18. She died Christmas Eve 1912 in a port just off the coast of Japan. And for the last 40 years of her life, she gave her life to missions in the nation of China, and there she is as a young woman. One thing you need to know about Lottie Moon is Lottie was, she was punk rock, Um, truly. She stood four foot three inches tall, but she was a force of nature. She was one of the first women in the southern United States to earn a master's degree In her education, she mastered several languages, including Latin, Greek, French, Italian. Later in the mission field, she mastered Chinese as well. In the middle of the Civil War, she taught Sunday school for both black and white children, much to others' dismay. Later in life, when on the mission field, she would offer scathing rebukes to Southern Baptists who would send missionaries to Africa and yet enslave black men and women at home. She had a fiery passion for missions. Prior to going to, to China, she had, she had a bright future in the States. She had a very bright future. She belonged to uh, a wealthy family. Uh, she had a marriage proposal uh, by a man that many regarded to be maybe the greatest theologian of her day. Uh, she herself, she was exceptionally intelligent. Uh, many, many praised her for, her, for her, the, the magnitude of her intelligence. But with her bright future and, and all of it, she, she turned it all down and gave it all up because her most dogged of intentions was to go to China for the sake of telling people there about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so she went to the missions board of the Southern Baptist Convention and she told them to send her as a missionary. There's a little problem, though. Southern Baptists at that time did not send single women into the mission field. To be sent into the mission field, you either had to be a man or married to one. But she didn't let that stop her. When they told her that she couldn't go, that four-foot, three-inch powerhouse told them, watch me. Watch me go. And she did. And while she was there in China, she flipped many of the the missionary norms on their head. She went to China and joined a a Southern Baptist missions base there. There were several other missionaries there on the base, Uh, But she felt that their methods were not quite right. They were a little more um, uh, tactful. They were a a little less um, radical in their approaches to evangelism, preferring to do it through schools on the base and preferring to do it on the base. They, in many ways, continued their Western way of life, eating, dressing, living as Americans in China. But she took it to the streets. Lottie took it to the streets. She began to live as the locals did. She wore the local dress. She ate the local food. She learned the language. She went from village to village uh, to, to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's something that she wasn't actually supposed to do. No one was supposed to leave the missions base in that way, especially not a single woman. But She traveled from village to village to preach the gospel and offer practical help. In 1890, persecution broke out in China against Christians in a, a city named Sha Ling. And uh, a man named Dang, or Dan Hobang was tied to a pole. He was a pastor there. He was beaten, and he refused to, to, to renounce his confession of faith. Another young man, a recent convert, um, uh, Li Ting, was beaten by his brothers, had his hair torn out of his head by them. He also remained steadfast, would go on to be a great evangelist in northern China. And when Lottie heard about this, this persecution, she rushed immediately to Sha Ling and she told the persecutors, she went to the persecutors and she told them, If you're gonna try to, to close and destroy his church, you're gonna have to kill me first. Jesus gave himself for us Christians. Now I'm ready to die for him. And one did try to kill her. He was providentially hindered. When the authorities intervened, the Christians there in Sha Ling refused to press charges against their persecutors which in turn led to many in that village coming to trust in Christ as their Savior. On another occasion, a revolution broke out in China in 1911. The fighting was intense, and it was all around the the missions base where Lottie was. And uh, it became so fierce that the American consul actually told the missionaries there that they were to go to another city in China, which was safer. And so all of them went except Lottie. Lottie heard about a nearby hospital where the personnel were were left alone and needed help. So she made her way through the warring troops, through the fighting, through the battles, and she arrived safely at the hospital. And when there, encouraged the remaining hospital personnel to stay and to continue to care for their patients. Inspired by her boldness and courage, they agreed. Many, many days later, when the other missionaries returned, they found Lottie faithfully living there directing the hospital, running it quite efficiently. Now, her time in China was, was costly to her. Okay, so I mentioned that she came from a family of, of enormous wealth, and that's true, but when she uh, died right the coast of Japan, Christmas Eve 1912, she died with very little to her name. In fact, when they liquidated her assets, they didn't even have enough to send her body back to the U.S. for burial. During the revolution there in China, she was, there was also a famine And while Lottie had access to food as a missionary, she continued to give away her food, continued to give away her money, taking very little for herself, saying that if the Chinese weren't able to eat, neither would she. And so she died in 1912, weighing 50 pounds. During her time in China, she faced revolution, war, famine, plague, and more. It was costly. And a letter She wrote in 1887 from Tung Chow, China. She wrote to Christians back home in the States saying, how many there are who imagine that because Jesus paid it all, they need pay nothing, forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they would follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in bringing back a lost world to God. The prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ And bringing back a lost world to God. Our text this morning reveals the same idea here. In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 67, the psalmist prays for God's blessing and grace. But then it shows us the purpose for God's blessing and grace. The purpose is so that others might receive that same blessing, that same grace. God's people long to be blessed by God and are blessed by God, but are blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. We know God's saving grace so that the world might know God's saving grace. We know his way of salvation so that the world might know his way of salvation. So the big idea here is that God's blessing comes to God's people so that God's salvation may be known in the earth. God's blessing comes to God's people so that God's salvation may be known in the earth. And we'll unpack that big idea by looking first at the prayer for God's blessing in verse 1 and the purpose of God's blessing in verse 2. So the first verse here, we see the, the, the prayer for God's blessing. The pen of the psalmist petitions. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, those words might sound familiar to you, and that's because they're echoing another text in the Bible, Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It's what we sometimes call the Aaronic benediction, the Aaronic blessing. Aaron was the name of the high priest, the first high priest in Israel, and God gave him a blessing, a benediction to pronounce over the nation of Israel and their worship. And that blessing was this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's a pronouncement of God's blessing upon God's people. But here in Psalm 67, the psalmist turns it into a prayer, a request. He's requesting, he's asking for this blessing to come upon God's people. Now sometimes when we hear that word blessing, we get the wrong idea in our minds we 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 can sometimes think of blessing as merely you know financial or material provision you get a new car you get a new outfit you get a raise at work and you post it on the gram with the hashtag blessed blessing here means more than that here this request for blessing is a request for at least two things god's pardon and god's presence god's pardon and god's presence First, he asks for God's pardon. He, he says, "May God be gracious to us." Well, grace is, is unmerited favor, His God's undeserved kindness, His unearned benevolence to us in Christ. And it begins with forgiveness. But please know that the, the biblical concept of pardon and forgiveness goes beyond that of merely removing the consequences of our sins. Biblical pardon means full reconciliation to the living God in Christ. It means being saved from our sin, from our guilt, from the consequences of sin into the gift of eternal life with God in Christ so that now we may live with, in, and for the living God forevermore. That, That is the request for grace. And that brings us to the second request here. The, the Lord's presence, for the Lord's presence. The psalmist goes on to request the Lord's face to shine upon God's people. What does that mean? That, it's a request for the Lord's favorable presence. Of course, you know, in, in one sense, everyone all the time is living in God's presence because God is present always everywhere at once. This is what we call the Lord's omnipresence. Omni meaning all presence, meaning his his presence. He's here all the time, everywhere, all at once. But you know, you can be in someone's presence without having their favorable presence. Think about when you're at a dinner party or when you're eating dinner with your, your city group, and there's a whole lot of people seated around the table, and there's a lot of conversations going on, and you can be sitting right next to someone, you're in their presence but their face is turned away from you. They're having a conversation with someone else at the table. You're in their presence in one sense, but in another, you're not. You, you, you don't have their shining face. But then, but then as they, if they turn their attention toward you and they begin to engage in friendly, smiling, personal, warm conversation with you, they're making their face to shine upon you. Well, likewise, when the Lord sets his personal attention on his people and gives them his personal favorable smiling presence he's making his face to shine upon his people and so you see the psalmist is asking for far more than material prosperity or new cars or raises at work as as good as those might be he's asking for pardon for the pardon and presence of the living god he's asking for the salvation of the lord to come to his people he's asking for god's full forgiveness to come to his people. He's asking for the favorable presence of the living God. And you know, we we know that we deserve nothing of the sort, don't we? We don't deserve God's blessing. We deserve his curse. As sinners, we don't deserve the smiling face of God. We deserve his face of disgust in anger. We deserve his wrath. As sinners, we don't deserve his favor and his favorable presence. We deserve his wrath and condemnation, his damnation, his eternal curse upon our lives. We deserve his wrath. And in fact, there's only one person in all of human history who did not deserve to be cursed like this. There's only one person on whom God could look down from heaven with a smiling face, with complete approval and acceptance. There's only one person of whom the living God could say, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And the good news is that because of who he is and because of what he's done, the requests in this psalm are answered. Because he deserved God's full blessing and smiling face. And yet he went to the cross. He went to the cross not to receive grace, but damnation. He went to the cross not to receive blessing, but to receive a curse. He went to the cross not to receive God's smiling face, but his wrath and condemnation. And he did so, so that you and I who deserve that wrath and condemnation and curse, might receive God's blessing and grace and smiling face, his favorable presence forevermore. Friends, if you trust in Christ this morning, these requests are a reality in your life. You don't even know how forgiven you are. God. Your sins have been eternally washed away. Your guilt is gone, gone forevermore. Jesus took it to the cross, he killed it, and he took it to the grave to be buried in that tomb forevermore. You don't even know how forgiven you are. God now looks upon you and he smiles. You have the favorable presence. If you trust in Christ, you have the favorable presence of the living God and nothing can take it away from you. All because of who Jesus is and what he's done. As the hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. But I want you to remember... As Lottie said about why Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all so that we should follow in his footsteps in bringing back a lost world to God. That's the purpose of God's blessing. As we see in verse 2, the psalmist requests God's blessing, his grace, his favorable presence. And then purpose clause, that, that, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power Among all nations, having begun with a request for God's blessing, he now states the intended purpose of God's blessing on God's people, that the way and saving power of God be made known throughout the entirety of the earth in every nation. And so verse 1 echoed the Aaronic blessing. Verse 2 echoes the Abrahamic blessing. And we talked about this briefly last. If we go further back, From number 6 to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we find the most thrilling promise that God made to Abraham. He says to Abraham, when Abraham was living in, in paganism, worshiping idols, the Lord God comes to him and encounters him and calls him, and he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen, in you all the families. That's that's all the, the people groups, all the ethnic groups, all the clans and tribes and nations of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham. What's the purpose of God's blessing upon Abraham and upon God's people? That all the families of the earth, all the people groups, all the ethnic groups, all the clans and tribes and nations of the earth will be blessed through God's people. When the refreshing water of a steady rain comes down upon a mountain, it does not stay in the mountain, but it trickles and flows down into the valley, giving life and abundance and greenery there below. And likewise, God's blessing, his His refreshing blessing falls upon his people, and it falls upon his people and then flows upon them and flows out from them into the nations of the earth and indeed what could be more natural what could be more natural than that as those for whom christ was sent and came to redeem and save wouldn't it be so utterly natural for us to be concerned about the redemption and salvation of others as lewis talked about he he, lewis in, in mere christianity talked about how how the enjoyment of a thing can't be really the end of it is so that we might praise and express and share it with others and that really the enjoyment of something is incomplete until it's expressed and shared with others wouldn't it be so natural for us to be to 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 be concerned about the redemption and salvation of others because we've so enjoyed our own salvation we have the joy of salvation wouldn't it be so natural for us to be sent so that we might share with others the joy and favor we found in christ You know, it's often said that that when you're in love, you want to tell the world. And indeed, it's true. If if you have found a salvation that so thrills and invigorates your soul and brings such joy to your heart, you can't keep it to yourself. If you can, then, then at best you fail to grasp something of the salvation you've been given in Christ, and at worst, you've not received it at all. In one missions journal from 1888, Lottie he demonstrates the sort of heart that a Christian has toward the lost and the unreached of this world. Listen to to what she writes. She says, the needs of these people, it's talking about the people that she's been sent to in China there, the needs of these people press upon my soul. I cannot be silent. It's grievous to think of these human souls going down to death without even one opportunity of hearing the name of Jesus. People talk vaguely about the heathen, picturing them as scarcely human or at best as ignorant barbarians. If they could live among them as I do, they would find in the men such respect to admire. And in the women and girls, they would see many sweet and loving traits of character. They would feel, listen, pressing upon their heart and conscience the duty of giving the gospel to them. It does seem strange that when men and women can be found willing to risk life or at least health and strength in order that these people may hear the gospel, that Christians withhold the means to send them. Once more, I urge upon the consciences of my Christian brethren and sisters the claims of these people among whom I dwell. Here I am working alone in a city of many thousand inhabitants with numberless villages clustered around or stretching into the illuminate distance how many can I reach? It fills one with sorrow to see these people so earnest in their worship of false gods and seeking to work out their salvation by supposed works of merit with no one to tell them of a better way Then to remember the wealth hoarded in Christian coffers, the money lavished on fine dresses and costly living, is, not, is it not time for Christian men and women to return to the simplicity of earlier times? Should we not press it home upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls, but that we might become co-workers with our Lord and Master in the conversion of the world? And it goes for all of us. All of us as as Christians ought to be concerned with the conversion of the world. We ought to be concerned with the gospel going forth into people groups still unreached by the truth of the gospel. The lostness of this world, the reality of individuals going into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ ought to sting and burden our consciences like Lottie's. And as a result of that, it ought to motivate all of us to be involved as a local church together in efforts to send and support missionaries. And some of us, some of us are called to do even more. Some of us are called to, like Abraham, go from our country and our father's house to a land that the Lord will show us. We're called to this because we've been given God's blessing, God's grace, his smiling face, so that others might know it as well. We've received knowledge of the way and saving power of the living God, so that we might tell it to the nation. Jesus paid it all, so that we might follow in his footsteps, and bringing the world back to God. And so in light of this, what should we do? What should we do? Three things, pray, send, go. Pray, send, go. First, pray. And this point seems obvious, seeing as how these two verses themselves are a prayer for global missions. The psalmist prays for God's blessing upon God's people so that God's blessing may reach the nations. And so to begin with, in praying, we should pray for a greater measure of the Lord's blessing upon his people, the church. You know, and of course, the the Lord has already blessed all of his people in Christ with pardon and his presence with forgiveness, salvation, redemption. But as the, the lyrics of this great hymn we're about to sing in a few moments says, Blessed earnest thou hast given, but in these we would not rest. Blessings still with thee are hidden. Pour them forth and make us blessed. And with the Lord, there's always more to discover. There's always more blessings stored up for his people. There's always higher heights of love of which to be assured. There's always deeper depths of grace to rest, in. there's always a greater level of assurance. There's always a more conscious experience of the Lord's smiling face. There's always more power in the infinitely power, powerful Holy Spirit in which we can walk. And so as the Puritans used to say, we ought to live with a kind of holy discontentedness in our progress in our Christian walk. We ought to always be pressing in for more further up and further into Narnia, as the Pivenzi children said in the last battle. And so plead with the Lord before his throne for such blessings, so that we might be more fruitful servants for his purposes in making Christ known in the earth. And not only for greater measure of blessing in the church, we ought to pray for unreached people groups to be reached with the truth of the gospel, We discussed last week uh, that according to the the Joshua Project, there are uh, 17,442 people groups in the earth with 7,413 of them considered unreached by the gospel. That's 42% of the world's population, 3.23 billion people. That is urgent. Does that not deserve at least our most fervent and earnest prayers. Should we not then be crying out for God's way and saving power to be made known in the earth amongst such people groups? We ought to pray for unreached people groups. You know, this morning we have these info sheets uh, available, these prayer sheets available. They should be out on the, uh, the welcome table out here. And we have some other things as well. Uh, some booklets uh, on the table out there with uh, unreached people groups that you can pray for each and every day over the next 40 days. Church, I implore you, give yourself to praying for them, pleading for them, crying out on their behalf in the coming weeks. Seek the Lord for the gospel to penetrate these people groups and convert many. Pray for unreached people groups to be reached with the truth of the gospel. And there, there are many places and occasions in which you could do this. You know, I, I, I would implore you to do this in your private prayer time. Every morning when you wake up, grab your Bible, grab this sheet, and go to the Lord, go to a private place, and read the scriptures, and pray, and work through this, and pray for unreached people groups. And your city groups over the next several weeks, we're encouraging groups to take a break from their, their regular rhythms, to simply pray through these sheets for global missions. But then also, pray in this way with your children during f- times of family worship. Now, our family has a map in our kitchen. We'll, we'll use resources like we've provided for you this morning. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, look for information on unreached people groups and point out where they live on the map. And we'll take time as a family with our children to pray for these unreached people groups to be reached with the truth of the gospel. And I'd encourage you, don't underestimate. The, the, the kind of impact that such a practice will make upon your children. You know, some time ago I read a, a biography of the great missionary John Patton. If you'll permit me to talk about someone other than Lottie for a second. Uh, at, at one point in time, he recalls growing up in his household with his father. His father uh, made socks for a living. And, uh, and, and he recalls his, pr- his father's prayers during family worship. And this is what he says about them. He says, how much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus Christ and for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. Don't underestimate the kind of impact that you might make on your children in praying for global missions. I'd encourage you to, to assume habits like these, to pray for God's blessing upon God's people, to pray for his saving power to be made known among all nations. And next, we not, we ought not only pray, but send. We ought to send missionaries to go and live among unreached people groups, so that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we quoted last week, John Piper once said, go, send, or disobey. Go, send, or disobey. We don't want to disobey. As a church, we want to go, and we want to sin. Some of us must go, and if some of us must go, then others of us must send. That requires the rest of us to sin, and that requires prayer, but it requires more than prayer. It also requires financial contribution, and so to be ascending church, we must give financially for the sake of missions. We set aside 12% of our b- annual budget as a church for national and, and international church-planting evangelism missions, and, and we actually give above and beyond that often because of your generosity as a people. You're, Veritas, you are incredibly generous, and I, I love that about you. And just two weeks ago, we were able to give above and beyond our regular giving to missionaries, uh, two international missionaries, and one uh, uh, national uh, North American church planter. This is largely because of your generosity. And so I'd encourage you as a church, if, if you're one of those who continues to give generously and abundantly, I encourage you to do this because when our budget increases, we can give more. And, and we're able to give more as a church. And, and so for those of you who do give, I, I just want to encourage you, continue persevere in doing that. For those of you who are members and, and are not giving regularly and generously, I'd also want to implore you, start. Start. You want to participate in God's global mission. You want to contribute what you have for the sake of world evangelization. I, I, I mentioned that Lottie quote earlier. Begins with this timeless exhortation, though, to to give. Listen to what she said. I wonder how many of us really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A woman who accepts that statement of our Lord Jesus Christ as a fact and not as impractical idealism will make giving a principle of her life. She will lay aside sacredly not less than one-tenth of her income or her earnings as the Lord's money, which she would no more dare touch for personal use than she would steal. How many there are among our women, alas, who imagine that because Jesus paid it all, they need pay nothing, forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Man, we we have to give financially for the sake of missions. But then also as a church, we're we're forming a missions team, a a missions team which will work and strategize and, and, and start a missions ministry at Veritas here. And uh, th- this missions ministry will sort of focus on mobilizing God's people for global missions. It will help facilitate our support and sending of missionaries as a church and more. And, and so perhaps part of your role in participating in, in, in our growing as a sending church is joining and contributing to this team. There's more information about that on this sheet out on the table. And then furthermore, there's another way you can participate in sending. Teach your children, parents about the importance of missions. Your prayers, as we already noted, will undoubtedly make an impact, but also discuss with your children the, 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 the global vision of the scriptures in texts like Revelation 7, Matthew 28. Take some time to discuss Psalm 67 with your children in the coming weeks. Tell them about the urgency of people groups who have no access to the gospel, who don't yet know about the saving power of Jesus Christ. Read to them great missionary biographies. or great missionary biographies that have great entertainment value because they're filled with adventures left and right, but also because they, they teach the value and importance of God's glory in missions. What, we should ask ourselves, what are we teaching our children about what is truly important, both explicitly and implicitly? What are we teaching our children is that, that, that's of su- supreme importance? If we were to look at our households, are they centered around the American dream? Are they centered around the kingdom of God? Based on our habits and our practices and our prayers, what what are our children picking up on? Are they picking up on the fact that missions is important? Because listen, they, they may be the ones that our church sends in the years to come. And so I'd encourage you, as the person who has more influence upon your children than anyone else in the entire world Impress upon them the importance of God's glory and God's mission. And pray, send, and lastly, go. How are the nations going to know about the way of the Lord? How are they going to know about His saving power unless at least some of us Go. Romans 10, 14 to 15, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? Matthew 28, 18 and 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mark 6 1615, go into all the world, go, go, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This call to go is so clear in the scriptures that Lottie once said a young man should ask himself not if it's his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay home. The command is so plain, go. So some of us must go. For some of us, it doesn't stop with praying and sending it only starts there and so i'm praying and i'm asking you to join me in praying that there would be three to five individuals or households in our church that would begin to sense this call to go and who would start preparing their lives to go and that our church would be a church that prays for and supports and sends them some of us must go some of us must go and now you might be wondering why on earth in a series like this right now why on earth would we go through a sermon series that's seeking to challenge and mobilize God's people in a time such as this after all these these times are aren't they hard enough as it is going through a pandemic people are are hurting and facing crises left and right this election season has been depleting for some of us people are by and large feeling weary So wouldn't it be more appropriate to do a series which seeks to to, to be more comforting and and assuring? Well, you know, on some level, I hope this series is comforting and assuring. But no, we we actually think this is very appropriate. You know, we're, we're not the only ones who are going through crises. We're not the only ones who are going through a pandemic. We're not the only ones facing political unrest. There are many nations and peoples of the earth who are going through the same things and perhaps worse than we are. The reality is that the entire globe is feeling this, and many nations and peoples of the earth are going through such without the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I mentioned earlier that Lottie used to go from village to village to preach the gospel and offer practical help. This was not really normal for her mission's base, at least at first. It was against the rules She insisted on going to the people and sharing the truth of the gospel with them where they lived on their turf and their language. And so she went. At one time, she actually made 122 trips to 33 different locations in just three months. She would often do this from early morning until late at night. And in fact, 20 years after her death, some missionaries went to a village that she often visited And, and one of the women asked there about her saying, when will the heavenly book visitor come again? how she loved us on one particular day she was going traveling from village to village she walked and walked and walked she visited 10 villages that day she felt like she'd walked all over china and she got to the 10th village she just plopped down sat in a chair and said to one of the the people with her i can do no more missionary work today i need to go home and rest But then just a a few minutes later, people from the village spotted her and began to surround her. Reinvigorated, she got up and she said to her her partner, we have the words of eternal life and we must speak them in spite of our weariness. My friends, we have been given eternal life. We have been given the blessing, the grace, the smile of the living God and with that, we've been given the words of, of eternal life. We must speak them in spite of our weariness. We must pray and send and go. We must make the way of the Lord known in earth and make his saving power known among all nations. This is why we've been given eternal life. This is why God's blessing has come to us. Jesus paid it all so that we should follow in his footsteps and bringing back a lost world to God. And We fulfill this calling faithfully. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would impress this message upon our consciences so that we would be filled with vigor and fire like Lottie Moon to make Jesus known in the earth pray that you would grow us as a praying, sending, and going church. For the sake of your name, we pray through Christ our Lord.